0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to take a peek at their website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can ask a listener uh, question there via the listener inquiry button, or of course, listen to old shows. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you Good all. Good morning. Happy.
1: Remember and stay to everybody. Yeah, back at you. And
2: happy uh, financial literacy month. Oh, can't forget that. Yes. Wow! Th- thank goodness everybody's listening to this show. Exactly. This it's is a your perfect month. If you hadn't started listening, now is the month to start listening. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> there might be
0: prizes at the end of it all. <laughs> Ooh! Uh,
2: eight retirement Exciting. questions. We're
0: going to start off with today.
2: Yes, and kind of compiled kind of the top eight. Yeah, and we get questions all the time, and we, you know, and there's no right answer, but I'm going to kind of go through some of the, uh, you know, generalities and some of the ways you should be looking at these answers because I'm sure when you're thinking about your retirement, your investments, these are top of mind. Yeah, and the number one, am I saving enough for retirement? Mm-hmm. And that's a great question, and the short answer is um, probably. Not sure. <laughs> okay, I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's a short answer. And the reason is, is because you have to go through what we call a, a personal financial plan, mm-hmm. um, a personal financial review, and then that will create a personal financial plan. So you need to go through everybody's cash flow, mm-hmm. and that's key to find out how much money do you need. Mm-hmm. What other sources do you have? In terms of, do you have other pensions? Uh, what you know are you uh, able to sell a house down the road Mm. Um, do you consider working part-time down the road there's so many it's such a loaded question but it's so it it sounds like such an easy one and it's one of those things that
0: every situation
2: is different is every single one so right off the bat I can say we definitely you definitely need a financial plan and perfect scenario last week I was seeing a client and their chance of success uh, if they retired in a year which they're not but if they did was 33% mm-hmm. now this is a year ago I did this plan so I, upda- I updated the plan and now they've paid down a lot of debt they had a big bonus mm-hmm. and I increased I, I brought a rate right up to date and now their chance of success is 42% hmm. now you're still saying oh, okay that's not that great yeah. and absolutely not and this person is 54 <coughs> years old and does tend on working a little longer however what I did look at though if they were to sell their house and downsize and when I, they have a considerably s- good-sized house, so they could literally sell half the house, um, live in a house half the size rather, right. and about half the cost. Yeah, and they would have about a ninety I was say, percent does that chance. that involve
1: a chainsaw? How do yeah. you yeah, sell? Half the <laughs> house,
2: not <laughs> like a divorce. Well, you know that whole rental <laughs> thing. Everybody's doing it True. different ways now. Just the up, upper <laughs> right. and the lower level. That's yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> but it's uh, to unlock half that money in the house and live in a smaller house. It all of a sudden brings their chance of uh, success to almost ninety percent, eighty-nine percent. So there is more than one way to skin a cat. Now, if you were looking, and they didn't have to sell the house for 10 years. So you could, they could live in that house for 10 years and then downsize. And it still allowed them a, a 90% chance of success. Mm-hmm. So the point is you need to put all the information down. You need to find out what is your, your lifestyle and, uh, and then create a financial plan. Mm-hmm. So that's really the long answer to number one. Uh, number two, what is the best way to draw my retirement savings? Now, this is key, and I know we've talked about this a lot. It's tax tax bracket management is so important mm-hmm. because if you're making, you know, over 220,000 a year, you're in a t- you're in a 53.5% tax bracket. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're making under 45,000 a year, you're basically in a 20% tax bracket. So, now you got to look at how do I m- optimize that income? And then what types of income? Dividend income, literally there's no tax on dividend income if your income's under Mm 45,000. Okay, so perhaps dividend income may be right for you. On the other hand, dividend income may be not the right thing if you are over 65 and it could create a situation where you're gonna pay back some of your old age security. Hmm. So it's not, again, a straight answer for everybody, but tax bracket management is extremely important. The estate planning. The best way to draw on your assets sometimes is to pay tax earlier. Pay the tax at a lower rate, even if it doesn't sound great. I mean, I'm paying tax at 30%. Mm -hmm. Well, it's still a lot better than paying tax at 53%. Yeah. So estate planning, making sure you keep more for you and your family upon death, then, of course, leaving it to the government. Um, Canada Pension Plan, an old age security plan. I know uh, Andy and I have talked about this uh, a fair bit in the last month, particularly the Canada Pension Plan. That planning can do, free up more room for uh, withdrawing money from your old age, uh, sorry, from your RSP, mm-hmm. And then that's another way to create this guaranteed source of income a little later. So again, the best way to draw down in your retirement savings is a question we get a lot and that is actually a game plan and a strategy that Annie and I look at all the time. Number three, how do I know if it's time to retire? Is there bells that go off? Okay.
1: Well, how do I know? <laughs> do you get a pay, a pink slip? <laughs> Sweats
2: in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, funny enough, you just mentioned that, Andy. Only forty six percent of retirement is planned.
1: Oh. Mm. Okay. Wow. The unplanned retirement. Yeah. Health.
2: Health. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Health. Layoff. Layoff. Lay yeah. On downsizing. Uh, possibly even sometimes the companies will just move and so, it's not yeah, uh, sold. Yeah. Sold. Yeah. yeah. Um, forty-eight out of those fifty-four percent that don't retire as planned, forty-eight percent retire earlier,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and six percent retire later than planned. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: You know, as Andrew, you we were talking about uh, the planning process and going through creating that sort of electronic plan to demonstrate or illustrate where you are and where you're going. And I think one of the unique <clears throat> features of that is saying, what happens if you lost your job right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and creating a scenario or showing a client a scenario where this is what you would look like right now if you lost your job. How would it unfold? Could you survive? What kind of income could you take if you had to retire now mm-hmm. versus when you had perhaps planned to?
2: And that's kind of how what we did with that. How, how am, I, am I saving enough for retirement? When they showed 33%. Mm-hmm. And it was almost just a gut check to see. They knew they weren't there yet. But they also wanted to see how they increased over one year. So they were reassured they've, they've gone from a 33% to a 42%. So they're on the right track. But again... Yes, if they lost their job that day, absolutely they couldn't retire.
0: Do you find that there's a lot of clients out there who say retirement, their goal was 65, and you know they thought, yep, no problem, I'll just ride it out till then. Then they're finding out at 62, uh, maybe they're not going to get that far. That they're going to. Uh, be let go before they make it to the end. How often does that happen and how does that screw up the plan when they don't get to their final goal? I mean, I guess lots of places will bridge them if yeah, that's there's... the case, but but still, it certainly wasn't what you planned.
2: Absolutely. You know, sometimes the, people like to get that big purchase like a car before they retire. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe they weren't able to get that done. Maybe they wanted to pay off their mortgage or some of the debts before they mm-hmm. get retirement and it came suddenly, and they couldn't quite get there. Yeah. So generally speaking, they end up with the life, not quite the lifestyle they wanted at retirement, mm-hmm. okay? And health again, as Annie mentioned, is another big one too, that can change things. Mm-hmm. But it comes down to a whole lot of factors. When should you retire? Well, crunching the numbers is one of them. And you, there's so many people now 65 that are very well off that are still working. It has nothing to do with crunching numbers. They're just comfortable working. Just they love it. what they're doing. Yeah. And they may work till they're 70, yeah. or maybe sometimes longer. You mm-hmm. know, A lot of uh, self-employed people are running their own business well into their 70s. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, part of them. It's, mm-hmm. it's not work for them. It's, it's something they look forward to doing every day. So crunching the numbers is part of the answer. Retirement readiness quiz. It's something our investors group has offered for years. It's kind of a more of a, a good feel type of quiz. It's not all about numbers. It's about your social contacts it's about your health. It looks at a whole lot of factors that whether you should retire. And we can, we can get that to our, the listeners here. It's a, or you can download it online right on investorsgroup.com website mm-hmm. and just type in retirement readiness quiz and take that test. Um, owning your own home is another factor in retirement. But when I say owning your own home, it shouldn't. it's not just that. It's debt too. It's line of credits, which are often based on your house. It makes it so much easier if you don't have debt. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you have a pension? And that's a very big factor. Um, when people have a defined benefit plan, quite often they're almost forced to retire. Mm-hmm. Because if they keep working, they're working for a very cheap amount of money. Right. Yeah. Because they're not adding any more value. Had they retired, they could say, let's make 40,000 a year as a pension, but they're only making 60,000 a year if they keep working. Mm-hmm. So basically they're only making yeah. an extra 20. 20, yeah. Well, they could, if they really wanted to work, they'd find somewhere else. and Maybe not work as hard mm-hmm. for 20 grand a year, yeah. even part- time. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing that happen a lot um, quite often with teachers as an, ex- as an example. Um, interesting question that uh, an interesting phase now that wasn't necessarily the case when we both started, but are your children financially stable? That's becoming a bigger issue now. Okay, your kids out of the house mm-hmm. and do they have a job, and are they doing okay? And have you test-driven a realistic budget? It's one thing to write down the numbers, Mm -hmm. but actually test drive it. Let's see if we can do this for six months. Mm -hmm. And then if we find it's not a problem, no, hey, perfect. But if we find, oh no, I'm spending way more than that. Well, maybe we've got to save a bit more money or maybe work a little longer. And can you weather a market downturn? And that's what the Monte Carlos analysis does. So that actually takes that into account. That's a question. I would find most financial planners out there are just using a very static number. Okay, your returns are gonna be 5% a year and, mm-hmm. and if you do that, you're fine. But if they go up and down like they normally do with the markets, then the Monte Carlos analysis will work into that risk, the volatility risk and the right. sequence of returns risk. So are you going to continue working part time? Um, are your friends retired? Okay, well all your friends are retired. Maybe it's, it's time to say, okay, let's hang out with my buddies. And is, is your job affecting your health? That may be another thing that should say mm-hmm. I might I might be wise to retire. So those are things that maybe should be answering your question. Is it how do you know when it's time to retire? Number four, um, how can I boost my retirement income? I'm delaying CPP, maybe part time job, a financial plan. Again, I got to keep going back to that is a key. Um, should I have life insurance? That's a that's an interesting question. It has a lot to do with your estate plans. Do you mm-hmm. own a cottage? Do you what, Do you want to um, Do you have a big tax issue? Um, so it's, it may not be for having your mortgage paid off, make sure the kids are looked after anymore. It's more about, do I need it going further for other reasons? Transferring wealth. I Transferring so. wealth, mm-hmm. absolutely. And yeah. uh, how how can I pay less tax when I draw down my RRSP? I, if I had a nickel for every time I got that one, mm. okay? But spousal RSPs, delaying the can of pension, income splitting is key, and uh, trying to work out the best Way between you and your spouse to get the optimal amount of income without paying too much tax. Mm. And sometimes paying a little tax now is better. Nobody likes paying it, but yeah. again, rather pay a smaller amount now. Uh, number seven, are RSPs a waste of time? I find this question a lot when people are at the point where they have the RSPs and now they really don't like paying the tax on them. Mm. But I would often ask, do you think your pension was a waste of time? <laughs> <laughs> and I've never had a client say, oh no, I love my pension. Well, an RSP is really your pension.
1: I had an interesting question from a client along that line who had RSP room. They could make a contribution room, and they're in their 60s. Their tax bracket, they're in the highest tax bracket, so they're paying 53.5%. So, right off the bat, you think we're going to save 53.5%. Mm. But when we actually look at their retirement income, they're going to do extremely well and they're actually going to be in the highest tax bracket during retirement as well. Wow. So, the question mm. is do we bother with an RSP? In other words, I'm going to put money into it, I'm only going to take money out and pay the exact same tax on mm. the way out. So, other than a deferral, there's no real advantage. Mm.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call them now at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. Just leave a message. And, of course, don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. You can check out old shows there and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Talking about the biggest retirement questions here. Yes, we
2: are. Almost got through them, but there's still another one left. But number seven, we did say is RSP is a waste of time. Andy was absolutely correct. You should look at, should use the RSPs or the tax-free savings accounts, depending on your Mm -hmm. situation. And Mm -hmm. they are a waste of time, I would actually agree with, if you're going to actually be in a higher bracket um, when you retire than when you put them in, in which case a a TFSA is a far better option. Right. Um, And then uh, the other idea is tax deferral is very good with an RSP. So even if you are in a higher bracket, um, it's not a terrible thing for tax t- deferral, but people are often trying to defer tax. They're already 60. Mm. Well, you're not gonna defer it that long. No. So you really need that planner to get in there and, and try Run to the figure numbers. out, work yeah. the numbers out. <laughs> so accountants will often look at the three Ds, defer, divide and deduct. And when it comes to this, they like to generally defer. I'm not one to go with that. I like to pay tax at lower rates and that will free the estate from a higher tax problem perhaps mm-hmm. down the road. And finally number eight should i use rsps to pay off debt in retirement and that's a great question and i get that a fair bit and again it comes back to tax bracket management look at what tax bracket you're in Um, how will affect your cash flow and perhaps uh, a line of credit might be a better route sometimes consolidating debt Mm -hmm. would be a better route and using a line of credit based on your house to pay down some debts particularly things like credit card debt or high interest debt Um, You know, there's no sense paying 10% or 20% interest rates. You've got equity. Make sure you use that. Generally speaking, taking the money out of the RSPs to pay down the debt is generally not the right answer, though. No. Okay? But uh, those are the top eight questions that we, we get on a regular basis and for Financial Literacy Month. So I thought we'd start with that. And there now we are in a, a bit of a low interest envir- environment here, but they are moving up a bit.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time since we, I mean, we've talked about rising interest rates over the years and uh, globally right now, central banks around the world. Are beginning to raise interest rates, and uh, so this is something that we haven't seen collectively for well since the since the uh, the yeah. Great Recession of two thousand and eight, and so why is there a hurry to do this right now? Why 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 now? And really, when when central banks begin to look at what is their purpose? it's really what they call the dual mandate. And the dual mandate is about number one, keeping inflation in check, Mm -hmm. because with price stability, you want price stability, you don't want to know if I buy something today, it's either going to be cheaper down the road or it's going to be way more expensive. So that makes Mm -hmm. things uncertain. Uh, So that's keeping inflation in check. And the second is employment. We want to keep employment uh, high or unemployment low, Mm -hmm. and that continues to drive the economy. So that's really the two key elements of what central banks do maintaining employment, and maintaining a low and or consistent inflation environment. So right now, when you think about um, one of the key tools being interest rates going up or down, really there are no tools available. If there was another slowdown or another crisis that came along, right. because we're already at historic lows, there's no room to move. That's what and the last two uh,
0: decreases were all about was stimulus, right? And then from there, where that's right. You go? Yeah. That's
1: right. And mm-hmm. so, um, and really, so what we're trying to what they're trying to do is put some more arrows back in their quiver so mm-hmm. that they'll have some some control in case of a slowdown or a crisis. So as interest rates begin to rise, what is the impact? And we're going to talk about a few things here, how high and really, and, and, but first off, what are the, what's the impact of rising interest rates to the various sort of listeners out there. And the first group I'm going to talk about is savers. Well, if you're saving on a regular basis right now, you know, how much interest are you getting paid in your basic bank account? Mm -hmm. You know, very little. Um, there are internet bank accounts. You might be getting point eight, you might get up to 1%. So, um, but generally that, a higher bank rate means that you're going to get higher payment on your interest-bearing accounts. Yeah. So that's a little bit of good news if you're a saver. Higher interest rates uh, mean higher rate of return on those guaranteed investments as well. Well, if you're a borrower, what does that mean to you? Not well, good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> and rethink and about it. The last decade, almost decade, we've we've created a generation yeah. of people who have never experienced high interest rates. It's always been low. We used to
0: talk about this like 10 years ago And mm-hmm. when this all happened back in 2008, we, everybody, well, how long is this going to last? And it was the temp, it was a temporary thing for the longest time before everybody realizes, no, this might be the new norm. That's so, right. and now all of a sudden the pendulum is swinging back.
1: And exactly. And so if you are looking at auto loans, you know, the end of the, the end of the days of the 0% financing and mm. the low interest rate financing that we counted on Uh, mortgages of course are beginning to go up as well Uh, credit debt uh, and and basically what all of these things do is they create a, a sense of insecurity when when you have higher payments that are going to be required And what that does is it it tends to uh, curtail our discretionary spending. So if we're suddenly feeling nervous about could we afford higher interest rates, Mm -hmm. we feel more vulnerable, we're more insecure, we tend to cut back on our discretionary spending. What about corporate borrowers? Corporate borrowers are those companies that have used this low interest rate environment to raise capital by borrowing money. And, uh, and of course they were able to borrow at very low rates as Mm -hmm. well. Well, we definitely would see an increase in bankruptcy. So those companies that have leveraged themselves and they're way out there on the risk scale, you, you, it would be normal to see an increase in the number of bankruptcies for those type of uh, borrowers. Uh, what if you're a lender? Oh, the banks are going to love it. They're going to they're going to they're going to make more money, right? Because yeah. the spreads actually get wider. As interest rates came down, there's only a floor a bottom floor, you know, as rates came down down down, the those margins got skinnier and narrower and narrower. But as they go back up, then the spread between what they can give us in our bank account and what they can charge to lend gets larger and larger. So more profits for banks. What if you're a a fixed income investor? So this would be things like bonds and that type of thing. If you're, if you're using bonds as part of your portfolio, as the interest rates go up, the yield on your bond, new bonds goes up higher and higher, but those existing bonds, the capital value goes down. It's like a teeter totter effect. And what about equities or stocks? Well, as interest rates go up, the valuations on stocks tend to get pushed down as well because those other uh, fixed income investments become more attractive. Mm. They're safer in in the sense and they get you a higher rate. What about institutional investors? So when we're thinking about institutional investors, we're talking about those people that are managing the pension funds, managing mutual funds, et cetera. I think the good news there is that they're already positioned for an increase in uh, interest rates. And what they've done is they've they've lowered the duration or shortened the duration of their bonds or their fixed income holdings, So they'll mature sooner Mm -hmm. and they'll mature at a higher rate once they mature. Right. And then what about housing? Well, with higher interest rates, housing prices typically contract. Yeah. So it doesn't bode well on the housing market in terms of, of those double-digit returns that we've seen for so many years. Those mm-hmm. may be a thing of the past for the, for, the, for the near future. So the question, I guess the next question is, are rates really going up or is this just a head fake? You know, <laughs> 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 How many times have we had this conversation? And uh, so the US, the United States raised rates back in December 15th. Uh, sorry, December two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. So almost two years ago, and right after that, oil prices collapsed. China went into a tailspin in terms of their economic recovery. And so basically there were no changes in interest rates mm-hmm. up until this year. Mm-hmm. And there were two two uh, hikes this year in 2017 uh, because again, the things had stabilized, the economy had stabilized, and it looks like China has recovered as well. So, um, and what about in Canada? So in Canada, we raised our rates in July this mm-hmm. year, 2017. That's the first time since 2010. hmm Seven years yeah. it's been since we uh, did any kind of interest rate increase. Well, the next question is how high? How high are they going to go? And st- st- historically, what we've seen is that, that the interest rate level at the bank, the bank rate level has been very close to the 10-year bond rate. And the 10-year bond rate over the last thirty years has been between about two and a half and three and a half percent. So on average about three percent, let's say is a is sort of a target of what we would see as the high watermark. Where are our interest rates right now in the US? One percent. So what we're calling is really a sort of a two, a one and a half to two and a half percent increase in interest rates, and that will likely happen over the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. So it's gonna be a gradual thing. And uh and and really i guess um The next thing with respect to that, we talked about the new, um, mortgage rules that Mm -hmm. are coming to place in Canada, January 1st. Well, it's interesting to me that those rates that you have to qualify for are about 2% higher than where they are right now, Hmm. which is almost exactly the middle range of where we see interest rates increasing. Hmm. So really the government is saying, you know what, we're going to make sure you qualify for that increased level. And it looks like that's about where interest rates will be over the next five years. Right. Interesting. Uh, All right. Now, what are the risks? If, the, if they make a mistake. Well, what if they what if they raise them too quickly? Well, if they raise them too quickly, they're at risk of sort of choking off growth. And they
0: have to be conscious of that simply because the amount of debt, housing especially, that yeah. people have taken on the
2: last 10 it, years. Exactly. So it'd be kind of like the 80s where people were throwing their keys yeah. back to the bank. Because yeah. honestly, yeah. I don't think they've, as, as there was a study of how many people are living month to month, yeah. and 56% said that they need—they're only two hundred dollars away from not paying their bills, mm-hmm. so that does—that doesn't leave much for an interest rate increase. Andy, no,
1: no, for sure. And uh, so, if choking off the growth would be the greatest risk there, what if they raise them too slow? Well, remember the dual mandate is they want to keep inflation in control, yeah. and they want to keep empl- un- employment levels high. But if that's if and they've got a lot of data points and a lot of information to look at, but the risk of going too slow is that if things if things suddenly got out of hand, they would have to quickly raise them. Right. So now you're into yeah. a, a period of uncertainty by having to go a, with a rapid increase. And what if they raise too far? Well, again, that's something where you get you risk choking off growth, but um, maybe you've just put more quivers in your arrows in your quiver, I guess, to be able to control or have some flexibility down the road. Well, what does this mean in terms of your portfolio and your portfolio asset allocation? We, we kind of see you know, equities have been, uh, should you be increasing equities or decreasing fixed income? And that's kind of really what this is pointing to in many ways is that um, the fixed income portion, this is the safe or bond portion of your portfolio really needs to be managed carefully in this period of time. And so we certainly favor those managed portfolios like a mutual fund manager who is actively looking after this on an ongoing basis. And really what they're doing is they're shortening the duration, shorter term bonds to try and control this. And also, um, you know, keeping cash available, cash available for opportunities. And I guess the other big key is, you know, your plan, your financial plan has to include, uh, reducing debt, mm-hmm. right? And Don talked about that too. As you think about heading into retirement and being debt-free is absolutely critical. Because if you don't know anything, who cares about interest yeah, rates, right? Really, <laughs> yeah. Almost, other than your yeah. savings yeah. and your investment portfolio. But if you don't have that debt issue to worry about, that is your that is is gonna be key as part of the plan. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and, and it's interesting, as Andy mentioned about the fixed income portion, uh, the biggest risk, and it has been kind of looming for the last couple of years, were what most people thought was the safest investment, were bonds. Mm -hmm. So you had your fixed income invested in bonds and they were not earning a high rate of return, you know, a couple percent. But the biggest problem with bonds, if interest rates rise, bonds go down in value. Because people on the street could buy uh, the new bond at a higher rate. Mm -hmm. So that means the old bonds are worth less. Well, and and so what there is another option is what we have is our own product. It's a floating rate income fund. And this is a very different product than long-term bonds. In fact, what they are is, is more of fixed-term rate, um, fixed-term loans. And they'll, they'll pay a lot higher rate. Now, there's more credit risk. See, with long-term government bonds, the credit risk is very, is almost non-existent. It's yeah. backed by the government. <clears throat> These are backed by companies. Mm-hmm. So I, I know one of the companies, for example, is Uber. Okay, we all heard of Uber recently. and you know they 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 are not they're a very good company. Um, they don't have to pay a lot of employ. You know there's not a lot of staff that work there. A lot of overhead, there's yeah. not a lot of overhead. They're all individual contractors. So they actually look at them as a very safe company. Mm-hmm. But they because they haven't been around long enough, they're called a, they're a, a B bond, not an A bond like a like a government is. So they have to pay a higher rate. And so with these loans, they're shorter in duration. They don't they're only like one to three years tops. These mm-hmm. loans and, but they do pay a higher rate of return. Right. So currently this floating rate income fund is paying between four and a half to 5%. Mm-hmm. And if interest rates rise, as Andy was talking about, these actually will go up, Yeah, they, they, they actually help. So these are not good investments if interest rates are falling, mm-hmm. where in which case long-term bonds are a fantastic investment, but these are excellent way to augment your fixed income if interest rates are, are rising. Mm-hmm. And so you do have a little higher credit risk but then you don't have the interest rate risk of interest rates rising. So you got to take one with the other, but this all comes back to diversifying yeah. and making sure you have a properly diversified portfolio. Um, there is no silver bullet because I have seen a few portfolios recently and they are very, very heavy in these floating rate bonds because they are paying a very a, a high interest rate. Well, with that high interest rate comes higher risk. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so you, you don't get nothing for nothing. You know yeah. You have to have... Um, the, the higher risk definitely means higher return but again don't get fooled by that and this is where Andy was talking about um, where you have other investments mixed in um, per ex- for example um, a preferred share portfolio mm-hmm. like our dividend fund for example <coughs> it's um, in mainly banks which if interest rates rise again as Andy mentioned the banks love interest rates rising mm-hmm. they're going to their profits are going to do even better yeah. they generally do fairly well anyway and they have larger spreads so the bank the bank um, share values could actually go up and the dividend rates could actually go up hmm. so there's another way to kind of limit how much exposure you have with interest rates rising and and still make money yeah. okay without having to get into uh, make equities,
1: and that's 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 the question. Then is how much do you have in your portfolio? How much should be in stocks? How much should be in bonds or this fixed income area? And uh, you know the the traditional model for a retiree, if it was sixty percent stocks, forty percent bonds, or even a pension fund today, the way that they're managing that forty percent, which is bonds, is going to be completely different. And this is mm-hmm. the challenge: is if you're if you're an individual. Do it yourself or trying to manage this, you have to be on top of this. Oh, this yeah. is this is a this is a tough game to be in right now. Yeah. and uh, you know, this is an area where I would want to hire an expert to make sure that this part of my portfolio is being managed properly.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button and check out old archive shows. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services. Inc. call now leave a message they'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and visit the website at andyanddon.com uh financial literacy month we're celebrating it's just a party in here today it's unbelievable it is a balloons cake <laughs> hats.
2: <laughs> well it's kind of interesting can i right, wear your hat do you want to get yeah, back sure. into that
1: money cage
2: again yeah. <laughs> get the horns <laughs> going again Woot woot woot. Well, the Financial Literacy Month, they bring it up. And it's kind of interesting, as I was saying off air, they've, they've made some adjustments recently to the schools.
0: Yeah. Oh, yes. They're uh, they're going to start or hoping to implement a financial literacy course for grade 10 students as part of their career path, which they've been talking about forever. But it looks like uh, some uh, young uh uh, visionary students have moved forward awesome. with this and oddly enough one of the students that was uh, involved in it in a school in Toronto is now in the banking business <laughs> That's mm. awesome. so uh, yeah a great story about him uh, his family being immigrants to this country. And then both his parents losing their jobs during the recession in mm-hmm. 2008. And he was forced to work five jobs and then realized how, how important it was to, to budget and, and find out all these things that he didn't know. So that's how he got into it. And now he's in the banking business. Good for mm-hmm. heaven. So he went zero, li- literally from knowing nothing to knowing everything. You know, so being, being an expert.
2: Yeah. And you know what, all I can say is it's about time. Yeah. 32 years later. And we've been talking about that literally since we've started, how we yeah. have to bring this into the schools. And yeah. with all the subjects that are less mm. useful, mm-hmm. okay, money is not one of them. Yeah, Money yeah. is such an important thing, no matter what your job is in the future, yep. managing money. And right now- And in the end, it's math. Oh, it is. It's totally <laughs> math. <laughs> <Yeah>. You're right. <laughs> <It's probably true. laughs> but there's also such an emotional part Human to this behaviour. too. Human yeah. behavior is so yeah. big. And, and it's in cash flow management. So right now, we have been lulled into this- Low interest rate environment, as Andy mentioned, and it has made us horrendous with money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrible. We're looking at, who would ever think, of, I'm going to get a car loan, I'm going to spread it over seven, maybe even eight years. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were, were not even finishing off one car yeah. and they still have payments on their car that they, they got rid of. Mm-hmm. Some of the things that have been going on because of the low interest rates really is, is, is abysmal. And because they're not thinking, it's such an emotional thing. And buying cars is an example. But there's so many other things that, little things, whether it's the latest iPhone. Yeah. The lineups out the door for I paying $1,500 yeah. for the latest phone. Unbelievable. Like, <laughs> yeah. And again, so right now, they they had a survey, 50% regret the amount of debt they have. Mm-hmm. 50%. So they bought it and, you know, buyer's remorse, mm. a few weeks later says, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Mm. 50%, yeah. <laughs> one and two. If it isn't you; it's your friend. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> and so managing cash flow is a key. Needing that financial plan, and so we have this book, and we've been offering this for free for a long time. It's called Money and Youth, and it's a guide to financial literacy, and it's a free ebook. Mm-hmm. For any of the listeners out there, please just go to the listener inquiry button, send us "I want the free ebook, Money and Youth." We will we will e- email right back to you. Mm-hmm. It goes through things as. Um, values, setting goals, earning income, employment and self-employment, mm-hmm. earning uh, employment versus self-employment, budgeting, planning, and so much more. Actually, a lot of those things that you said about yeah, the, uh, nah. the person starting the program. Mm-hmm. So it's so key, it makes it easier. The, the millionaire next door stories, yeah. um, literally they took a, a test um, of all the millionaires in the US. Mm-hmm. And, they have, uh, and they looked at what were their habits? What made them different? And it turned out that really they just saved 15%. Yeah.
0: That was it. Yeah. There was a trick. The old wealthy barber thing. You got it. Yeah.
2: And they they had, generally speaking, they kept married. (coughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. That's Mm. also a big one. They had- Now does
0: that cost you or save you?
2: It saves a lot of money apparently. (laughs) And they um, lived in a modest house. Yeah. And they literally called the millionaire next door, the the book, because you'd never know they're millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. They just live within their means. And so we've- uh, You know, we've talked about working with a planner and the importance of it because right now, most Canadians face some, you know, pretty tough financial problems. 87% of Canadian boomers feel they're not fully prepared for retirement. Hmm. 87%. And some of those are now, the baby boomers have just hit 68 years old. So we're talking about the ones that are getting up there. Um, Of the ones that are near retirement or at retirement, 13% are extremely ready. So that's pretty good, 13%. 34% 34% are somewhat ready. So you're looking at almost 50% are, are decent. But then you have 9% not at all ready, mm-hmm. and 12% not particularly ready, and 32% not sure. In fact, 30% of surveyed boomers said that if they could go back and do it again, they would have started saving for retirement earlier. Yeah, 36%, yeah. more than a third. And again, going back to this Money in Youth book, mm-hmm. such a key. and I can't stress it enough. So you look at the value of advice, and they actually looked at how much value did a financial planner have in the role of creating a higher net worth. So if you're 45 years or under, they looked at their, their amount of uh, assets they had, investable assets, not including their house. 45 and under, without advice, they had 24,000. With advice, they had almost 80,000, hmm. 3.2 times. Hmm. Somebody that's 46 years old to 54 years old, without advice, they had 51,000. With advice, they had 140,000. 55 to 64, now we get into that just pre-retirement, without advice, they had 46,000. Interesting enough, regardless of age, the first three categories without advice, they all had the same amount of money, Mm. approximately 50,000. But with an advisor, they had 246,000, 5.3 times. And 65 and older, without an advisor, 66,000. And with an advisor, 272,000, 4.1 times. So having proper advice and following that game plan and making sure you don't get off track mm-hmm. and, and stick into the program literally multiplies your net worth by on average of about three to three and a half to four four times, mm-hmm. not percent, four times. So you're going to be four times richer by having a financial planner.
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message, 905-529-7165. And don't forget about the website, (laughs) uh, andyanddon.com, andyanddon.com. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, 905-529-7165, and just leave a message. They'll get back to you. And you can also take a peek at their website, andyanddon.com. Talking about time versus timing.
1: Yes, time versus timing in the stock market. Mm. And as John Maynard Keynes said, who was a famous economist, in the long run, we are all dead. Hmm. That's valid. (laughs) It is valid. It's probably the one thing economists got right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But equally true, equally true, in the long run, stock prices rise. Mm. And it doesn't matter whether it's measured Mm. in days, weeks, or years, the stock market goes up two-thirds of the time. Mm. It's actually a little better than that, but two-thirds of the time, the stock market goes up. Yeah. Exactly. And so what we know to be true is that Time in the stock market equals wealth. Mm-hmm. It builds wealth time and time again. And, you know, just looking back historically, uh, and the charts, you know, spell it out to us in terms of it just goes up from left to right. But the Dow Jones Industrial Average from uh, 1982 to 1999 went up 1,654%. Just one example. From March 2009, the very bottom of the cycle after the economic recession of 2008, to today, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 250%, two and a half times your Mm. money. And uh, here's a question for you, Scott. If you invested a dollar, one dollar, in Does it da- have to be
2: a math question? <laughs>
1: <laughs> in hey, d- it's financial literacy month. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is your chance to shine. If you invested $1 mm-hmm. in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and these are the big large cap US companies, in 1824, just almost 200 years, right?
2: This should be an easy one. If and you, you
1: reinvested start. the dividends... How much would that dollar be worth today? And I'm gonna never mind inflation, but I'm gonna give you three options. Would it be worth A, one million dollars, B three million dollars, or C seven million dollars?
0: Oh my. I'll go with B.
1: Three million? Yeah. The answer is seven million wow. C. See, $1 wow. in 1824 worth $7 million See, today.
2: If we just live longer, we'd That's all be right. millionaires. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. Right. There's
1: no, there, there's no, yeah, it's if a I guaranteed only know, thing. <laughs> if I only know my,
2: knew
0: my great grandfather better.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's something, I didn't know that this is called a histogram, mm-hmm. but a histogram is basically a chart that shows you uh, in block form the outcomes of a certain scenario. And mm-hmm. in this case, what they're showing is the rate of return that the it, the Toronto stock market did in each calendar year. Mm-hmm. So on the right hand of the chart the rates of rate, the the categories are 0 to 10%, 10 to 20%, 20 to 30 and 30 to 40. And on the left side of the chart minus uh, zero to minus 10, minus 10 to minus 20, minus 20 to minus 30, and minus 30 to minus 40. So you got those four categories on each side. And then you put a block in each category to see where does the average returns fall. And the chart tells us that two-thirds, about 70% of the time, the the bar or the box will fall on the positive side and 30% of the time it'll fall on the negative side. Mm -hmm. So this is what's called a histogram and really what it presents to me and really, so 48, this is over 69 years, this is representing 48 of the 69 years were positive. Again, about 70%. And so the question is, we know that we can make money through this if we just stay in it, mm-hmm. but why do people try and time the market? Well, I think that this histogram tells us a little bit about it. We see that there's 30 times when it was negative. So automatically we think that there's an opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Is there an opportunity? Because it's going to go down, right? Yeah. And the problem is the fallacy of what forecasts. that we did a study with Merrill Lynch and the, the forecasters looked at what would be the rate of return for the stock market in the next 12 months? So January 1st every year. Never are they ever right. Hmm. Not once <laughs> over the entire forecasting period. Um, <laughs> Not a good number two, record. <laughs> number two, people responding to short-term noise. So the, the, really the, the focus here is they're selling in response to some kind of sudden uh, downturn in the market. Right. right. And Merrill Lynch did a study in the S&P 500 since 1930. And every year there has been a 10% pullback one time in the year. Mm -hmm. So the market will correct at least up to 10% once a year. 5% pullback happens three times a year. So in any given year, you can see the market go into a negative 10% period at least once Mm -hmm. and go into a negative 5% period for at least three times a year. Mm -hmm. But we know that 70% of the time they finish positive, even though they had those negative periods. Uh, The one that blows me away is... um, uh, JP Morgan did a study on the S and P 500 since 1980 and the average return, the average downturn was minus 14% per year. And that happened 28 out of 38 years, but they ended up with a positive rate of return. That's bizarre. Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. And, um, basically when you look at the, the, um, the, the, the best days of the, of the cycle of the market, if you're out of the market, if you're out of the market, um, and this was, again, that the S&P 500, the S&P 500 from 1996 to 2016, 20 years, the rate of return was 7.7%. If you invested $100,000, that 20 years, it would have grown to $440,000. If you miss the 10 best days, your rate of return drops to 4%, mm. and that meant you only had $219,000. And there was a study done at the University of Michigan in 1994, and what they discovered is that in looking at the preceding 31 years, that 95% of the all the stock market gain was generated by just 1.2% of the trading days, mm. basically mm. three days per year. Yeah. So if you are not in the market for those three days, you are going out. to end up with a far less uh, substantially lower growth. Mm -hmm. And so the bottom line is that we need to be in the market for the long haul to make our wealth grow.
0: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here, have been here, from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now, leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you next week.